Well, good to see you all. A lot of familiar faces. It's been like three years, so so good to see you. Uh, it's, what a what a, f- a warm feeling that we get when we come, and um, it's like a home church for us. You know, it's really really encouraging. Uh, we can go to the next slide, I think. So, uh, I was going to show you the video that goes along with this picture. Uh, but I didn't want to cause anyone to stress before, be, before the sermon. I, I watched this documentary with my son Jonathan a few years ago now. And to give you a bit of a background to it, uh, the mother of this baby wildebeest had just given birth. And I'm talking about only a few minutes before. And already the hyenas are after it. Uh, it wasn't even walking yet and its life was under threat. Um, I had no idea uh, what was going to happen. In my, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, Johnny's going to witness a bloodbath here. And my anxiety was peaking. We're both on the edge of our seats and just hoping that this baby wildebeest would be uh, run off to safety. And to be, to be honest, I thought, well, it's, it's got no chance. Just been born, couldn't even walk yet. I'm also thinking that I would have to comfort my son in his distress and uh, explain to Roz why he's having nightmares about animals being ripped apart. Now, it is amazing to think that only a few minutes after being born, this baby wildebeest got up and ran away. And what a relief it was to me. How about we pray uh, before we get into this talk? Our Lord... Thank you for this time. Thank you for the passages that we've just read. And we do pray that you would help us understand the anxiety that Paul was feeling for this baby church, uh, so new in their faith. And we pray that we would uh, learn from it and implement and be, have the same love that he has uh, for the Thessalonians. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the third talk I've done here at Point Church. And I don't expect you to remember the previous talk. It was three years ago. But um, I used this image of the, ba- the baby um, wildebeest to, to describe... Well, this is actually... The image of the baby wildebeest is the image that I get when I read 1 Thessalonians. Um, and I used it in the last talk. And... I think of this image because it's the feeling that I get, the feeling that is overwhelming, particularly in this passage that we've read today. Because it's the kind of anxiety that Paul is feeling as he's just left these baby Christians all alone, by themselves, left to fend off the persecution from the Jews. Now, up on the screen, you should see a map. Um, So what exactly is happening? I think there's a map on the... The next, oh, there we go. <clears throat> you can see where Thessalonica is. Uh, what's exactly happening to cause Paul to, uh, to, to have this anxiety that he feels? Well, in Acts chapter 17, which was the first passage that we read, Paul and Silas, they're on their missionary journey and they arrive to Thessalonica. And over a period of three weeks, Paul goes and preaches in the synagogue. Men and women 
choose to follow Jesus Christ. They become a believer, believers and a church is formed. But some of the Jews in Thessalonica, well, they're, they're not happy. They're furious. That furious that one day they round up a mob. They march down to Jason's house where these new Christians are. They're having their gathering and they, the angry mob force their way into their house. They drag out Jason and other believers, take them to the local authorities, accusing them of worshipping another king and not Caesar as king. Well, the authorities, they're not happy. And they force these new believers to pay money as bail and they're released from custody. Quite a scary experience, I would imagine. And that night, these new Christians, uh, they've... In Thessalonica, they sent Paul and Silas away to a place called Berea, probably 70 kilometres away, uh, west of Thessalonica. They arrive. Paul does exactly the same thing. And the Jews back in Thessalonica, they hear about this, travel all the way over to Berea and do the same thing. They march Timothy and Silas out and Paul travels on to Athens to catch up with Silas and Timothy. Now, you can only imagine the anxiety that Paul is feeling at this stage. Baby Christians, men and women, weeks old in their faith, forced to leave Thessalonica, forced to leave Berea, Paul is torn away, leaving them to endure persecution, the violence and the hostility. You can imagine the head miles that Paul's doing. Who will disciple them? Who's going to help these guys grow in their faith in Jesus Christ? Who's going to protect them from these guys going back to their old way of life? You know, we can kind of get a picture of Paul's anxiety here. Let's think about the new Christians being so young in faith. Without any mature discipleship, it's hard enough as it is. Yet, subject to such fierce persecution, you kind of think that, oh, I was, I was kind of thinking, they're as, they're as good as goners, just like that baby wildebeest. As quickly as they started to follow Jesus, is as quickly as they would give up Jesus. And so, being in this situation, Paul takes action. So have your Bibles open or have a look up on the screen in chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. And and in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter attempted you. And that our labours might have been in vain. Yeah, you could stand it no longer. The anxiety of not knowing 
So he sends Timothy on a 400-kilometre trip to Ath- from Athens to Thessalonica in, in the north to see how they're going, strengthening them, encouraging them to continue to follow Christ. <clears throat> well, um, in the interview, uh, if those of you don't know, uh, I'm a prison chaplain. Thanks, thanks to you. And I have the priv- privilege to disciple inmates uh, in faith, often involving reading the Bible, praying, talking through pastoral issues, uh, particularly talking about what does it look like for them to follow Christ on the outside. And only a few months ago, there's a, a guy called Josh who, who got out after being in for a year. And I was, since his incarceration, I'd been meeting up with him. He, had, he was taught the gospel by his grandparents and had strayed. Life was hard for Josh. Uh, it was hard. It, there was a, the, drug addictions, there was violence, unstable household, and old friends expecting that Josh is going to be exactly who he was when he went in. Well, <clears throat> since his release, I've been calling Josh about every week, and uh, it's so encouraging to hear that he's going okay, that he's been along to the local Aboriginal church a few times, and I, I managed to speak to a pastor uh, up in the Lismore area who has bought a, a brand new Bible for him and delivered it last week. And they read through Joshua 1 together. And how encouraging it was for, for him to, uh, I don't know if you remember the first few verses, be strong and courageous. And so it's my prayer that Joshua would continue in faith, that he would be established in the local church. And what a relief to hear that he's doing okay. Well, for Paul, hearing, about, hearing from Timothy about this church, gosh, it must have been such a great a relief. Timothy's come back, another 400 kilometres. Take a look at the screen or, or in your Bibles, Luke chap- oh, sorry. Um, chapter 3, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6 on the screen. But Timothy <clears throat> has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you're standing firm in in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. What great news. Relief. He's overjoyed because they're standing firm in faith. Paul says in verse 8, for now we really live. He's overjoyed. And what a phrase, for now we really live. Does anyone remember that ad that says, this is living? Does anyone remember that ad? BCF. This is living. Usually you see the guy on the boat, he's, he's, he's fishing, and he's saying, living for yourself. Living for your own pleasures, this is living. 
Well, for Paul, he's saying, no, to hear someone else's faith, that they're standing firm, that's living. That is true living. That's what life is about for Paul. And we can get a full extent of Paul's love now, can't we? Just the, the measures that he takes, the extent that he goes to, to hear from the church. He spares no expense, does he? To make sure that they're standing firm in faith. Sending Timothy on a 400-kilometre trip there and back. Paul could have just weighed up the cost. Ah, too, too costly, too time-consuming. He could have easily just said, oh, it's not worth it, let's just move on. I'm going to cut my losses and try somewhere else. He could have easily done that, but he doesn't, does he? Rather, he, he does whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to ensure that they, these guys are standing firm. And for him, he responds, this is living. This is true living. It shows his devotion and love for God's people, doesn't it? How would we go if we aspired to have the same love and concern for each other, other people and their faith? That we would uh, be concerned not only as individuals but as a church, that we would love deeply, be sacrificial, be devoted in our lives to building one another up in faith. That we would have a healthy anxiety for the, and the concern for, their, for each other's faith. Thankful to God that, that when we hear of someone going well and they're growing, it, it gives us relief. <clears throat> now, as, as Stu was saying, Ros and I have been up at Point Church. Uh, from, we've left... Probably about eight years ago, we've been up at Kempsey for the last eight years. And uh, several times every year for the last eight years, we get an email from Point Church saying, hey guys, we're, uh, we're praying for you guys this month. How can we pray for you? And to have that concern, that love means so much to us. It may, not, it may be such a little thing for you, but for us... Five hours north to hear from you guys is just so encouraging and it, it, it keeps us going. And so we, we want to say thank you um, and thank you for, that we can be here and have, continue that fellowship and encourage each other that we would stand firm in faith. But when I think about Paul and his concern and... Um, love for other people, to be honest, I find it hard to relate to him. I find it hard to relate to to Paul's response when he says, this is really living. I'm I'm more like the guy on the BCF ad, living for myself, living for my own pleasures, knowing all for, well, that's not true living. Persevering as a community in faith, that's true living. And so we need to ask ourselves today, how do I or how do we cultivate a sacrificial love for each other? In what practical ways can I or, or can the church care for one another, as Paul does? And to do it in a way that it's not a token gesture. I'm not just doing it because I feel obligated to do it, but rather doing it with a genuine and deep-seated love for each other. How do we do that?
<clears throat> I think the first thing that we need to do is ask, how did Paul do that? What motivated Paul to have this sac- sacrificial love? And I think um, there's two reasons. There's two, two places in this passage that we've read today that give us a hint. The first one's on, up on the screen. It's chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 17 to 19. This is first, Paul's first motivation. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing for you, longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we'll glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. You see Paul's motivation here. It's in verse 19 and 20. Paul's motivation to sacrificially love comes from the fact that it's those very Christians, the Thessalonian Christians, those men and women that turn to Christ, it's them who are Paul's hope, joy and crown in which he'll glory before Christ. It's them who who he holds up before Jesus at Christ's return. They are the fruit of his ministry under Christ. It's them that make him endure all sorts of persecution. Friends, salvation, Christ's return, it's not an individual pursuit. It's not an individual event. It's a Christian community event that we would hold each other up in glory before Christ. Friends, that's Paul's first motivation. His second motivation is chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God. And Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones, once again we can see his motivation. So it's, it's in verse 3, and after the so that in that verse, so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So you notice, and notice both these motivations to be, to be concerned with others comes from the facts or stems from the fact that one day Jesus will return. He will return. Friends, for Paul... Investing in the lives of other Christians is worth it. Establishing one another's faith in Christ is worth it. It's worth sacrificing our time, our money, our lives, because in the end when Christ returns, we'll be glorying in each other whilst we glory in Jesus Christ. Friends, we're going to pray now. We're going to pray what Paul prays in verse 12 and 13. Because in the end, Paul says that when we do that, that's, that is really living. 
That's what's going to matter at the end of time when Jesus returns. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may you make our love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May you strengthen our hearts so that we will be blameless and holy in your presence when your son Jesus returns with all his holy ones. In Jesus' name, amen.